You know, uh, about a, a week and a half ago, uh, I was preparing for a worship leading session here, and God really put um, the song that uh, Zion and Irene just so beautifully led on my heart, that song, It Is Well. And as I was preparing to lead that worship um, in that service, I really had this burning desire to share something of the background, where, that's, where that is, those words come from in the Word of God. And then I realized I wasn't going to do it justice just by talking about it before um, singing the song. It deserves a much fuller um, release of revelation. And so um, I also want to say that uh, it's part of a prophetic impartation that's been taking place um, over the last couple of days. And what I mean by that is that I chose this passage of scripture from 2 Kings chapter 4 um, early in the week and started, you know, reading into it and seeking the Lord about it. And uh, Luke was preaching on Friday night and I didn't know what he was preaching about. And then when I spoke to him to see how he was going with his message on Thursday night, I found that he was preaching on 2 Kings chapter 4, the first six or seven verse, verses. And uh, so that's one woman's encounter with a miraculous God to bring her out of a terrible situation. And I would encourage you, if you haven't watched that message yet, go back to our Friday night service, the one just gone, and have a listen to what Luke shared there. And some of the amazing testimonies of God's provision that accompanied that message. And so I'm launching into the second part of Second uh, Kings chapter 4, which is the story of somebody that we... Uh, know of as the Shunammite woman and the extraordinary thing that God did in her life. And it also uh, speaks into a prophetic word that I released for Australia and in particular the church in Australia in our prophetic ministry meeting uh, yesterday morning. And uh, towards the end of this message, I'll be sharing a little bit out of that prophetic word because it speaks into this message as well. So uh, today I'm preaching about this woman who spoke three words in faith despite impossible circumstances. And those three words were, we've been singing it, it is well. And if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4, this story starts at verse 8, and you're going to be surprised, I believe, and have fresh revelation about some of the aspects of this story that perhaps you haven't seen before. Um, and so starting at 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, this is what the Word of God says. And actually, before I launch into this, I'm just going to pray. I just want to thank you, Lord, that there is a specific prophetic impartation being released through this word to every person listening this morning. That, Father God, that there is a shift in our hearts while also a recognition that we will not be moved from our position of faith. I thank you, Father God, that you are establishing us more strongly in our faith because of what we receive from your word this morning in the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I declare this to be true. 
So 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Now, uh, Luke shared with us on Friday night from the first seven verses of chapter 4 about another woman who had a miraculous encounter with God and was provided for um, in a miraculous way. And there is a difference between the woman in the first story and the woman in this story. In the first story, this was a woman who was facing the loss of her sons into slavery because of extreme debt. But in this story, this woman is actually very wealthy, as you'll see as the story unfolds. And, you know, uh, God doesn't just bless poor people. He blesses rich people as well. And he knows what our specific needs are at any specific time. And he's well able and well prepared to meet every need that we have. And you're going to see this uh, play out in an amazing way in response to faith. So in these, how do we know that this is a wealthy woman? She's described here as a notable woman and her estate was large enough to have a protective wall in which she asked her husband to build a retreat for the prophet Elisha. And even the chair mentioned as being part of the furnishings of that room in the wall is actually the Hebrew word for throne. So there is something uh, magnificent that this woman wants to do for this man of God. And we can see that she had a heart for God. And as we will see, it is in spite of a bitter personal disappointment in her life. And so we go on into verse 11. And it happened one day that he came there. In other words, Elisha came there. And he turned into the upper room and lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, to Gehazi, now say to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. It's another way of saying I'm content with my life. I have no need of anything. So Elisha at this point turns to his servant Gehazi and says, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. You see, there is a hidden emptiness a void that this woman has. She is wealthy and has no need for any material thing. And I would suggest to you that she is no novice in the things of the Lord. That will become very obvious to us as we move through this story. In fact, we will discover how deep her heart is for God as we work through her story, but something is missing and she has given up on this one thing that's missing because it has become an impossibility. 
She and her elderly husband have no heir, no son, nor any possibility of having one. They have nothing, uh, they have no one to pass on inheritance to. And it is so settled in her heart that this is an impossibility for her that she doesn't even raise the subject with Elisha. But you know, Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. This is a woman who delights herself in the things of the Lord so much so that she gives out of her wealth to provide for the man of God and host the presence of God that comes with that man of God in her own home despite her disappointment, despite the bitterness that has come with that, despite her circumstances. And so when Elisha hears this in verse 15, it says, So he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. About this time next year, you shall embrace a son. This is God speaking into the impossible because the things that are impossible for man Are on God's agenda. And she said, No, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. Let me pause here for a minute. Do you truly understand and believe, do you have that personal revelation that God is the God of the impossible? Because there is a difference between the unlikely and the impossible. Man can sometimes reach into the unlikely, but God reaches into the impossible. And we all need to understand that we are now in not just the season but the era of the ecclesia where the impossible must become our expectation of faith. Don't be deceived by your delay. If you have believed that God has said something to you and promised you something and you haven't seen it come and you've even let it go and you've seen the promise die, Don't be deceived by the delay. God has not abdicated his throne. But this is only just the start of this incredible story. Verse 18, the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And so he's hanging out with his dad in the harvest. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he's having probably some sort of aneurysm or something's gone wrong. And so the father says, he says to a servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon and then died. So I want you to just understand this is a very small boy. He's only probably about three or four years of age. 
And then she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. And I want you to note here that she didn't put the boy on his own bed. She didn't put the boy on her bed. She laid him out on the bed of the prophet. And this makes me think that perhaps she's heard the story of Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, who raised a widow's son by stretching himself across his dead body. In 1 Kings 17, you can read that story. And now... As she's put the little boy on the bed, who's died, now unfolds a story of determined, gritty faith. Verse 22, she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Three things emerge here. The first is, she has not told her husband that the boy is dead. Did you ever notice that? He asks her the direct question, why are you going to him today, to Elijah? Why are you going? It is well. (laughs) She has a purpose. She is going directly to the source of her hope. She doesn't want to be discouraged from her purpose. Perhaps Her husband doesn't have the same degree of faith as as her. Perhaps he'll forbid her from going. Perhaps he'd say, the boy is dead. Why are you going there? Get ready for the funeral. Secondly, we see from his question that she regularly goes to see Elisha on the day of the new moon and on the Sabbath. Why does she go looking for Elisha? Why is it that she goes to Mount Carmel regularly? I believe it's because she cannot go to the temple in Jerusalem. How do we know that? Because she is in a place called Shunem, and Shunem is part of Israel, not Judah. And at the time that this story takes place, the temple in Jerusalem is still the place where every Jew is commanded to go to worship. But Israel, under Ahab and Jezebel, who are king and queen of Israel at this time, have been slaughtering prophets left, right and centre for a long time. They have torn down um, every, uh, every aspect of worship of God. They've raised up a new temple in Samaria and that temple is a place where they worship Baal. And so... Uh, No true prophet of God, no true follower of God would worship in the temple of Baal erected in Samaria. So she is going to where she knows God speaks. And God speaks through Elisha, who hangs out on Mount Carmel. And thirdly, she speaks out of her faith. It is Well, 
Then she saddled the donkey, verse 24, and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. You know, I was considering this and, um, you know, I'd kind of glossed over the story of the Shunammite woman many times and I'd never bothered to ask myself the question, why is she called the Shunammite woman? (laughs) Now, it's there in that verse 8, the first uh, verse of this story. She comes from a place called Shunam and that got me going. I was thinking, okay, does that place still exist today? And so I look up a map of Israel and there it is. You know what else I discover? That uh, like so many other stories in the Bible, we have a tendency to compress the time frame of what we read about. For instance, if you read through the book of Acts, you could uh, very easily have the impression that the book of Acts takes place, the whole thing, all the chapters of the book of Acts, over a period of maybe two or three years. But in fact, the book of Acts covers a time span of 30 years. And there is a compressed time frame in this story that we really need to take note of. So let me show you something here. This woman's from Shunem, and the distance from her home to Mount Carmel is 50 kilometres, and she doesn't have a car. She's got a donkey and a servant. We're talking about a six-hour trip. Elisha's not just in the next town where she can pop in for a cup of tea and say, oh, by the way, can you come and help me in my dilemma? She has to leave her dead child on that bed, take the donkey and go 50 kilometres and then up Mount Carmel. We're talking about six hours. Meanwhile, Her son is not just dead on that bed. Rigor mortis has set in. It goes on to say, So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman. You know, I've stood on the top of Mount Carmel in Israel and you can see right down over all the valley of Jezreel, which is where the woman would have come on that donkey with the servant. And Elisha, for some reason, is there and he looks down and he recognises it's her down on the valley floor and he sends Gehazi down. He said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? So Gehazi goes down there and he asks her those three questions. Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she says, it is well. Here is true faith. Because true faith speaks through the storm. True faith speaks through the trial. True faith speaks past the material earthly realm into the eternal supernatural promises of God. Verse 27, she makes her way up to the top of Mount Carmel 
And it says, now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. In other words, she's thrown herself down at his feet and taken hold of his feet. Gehazi came near to push her away, but the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And this teaches us something extremely important. That true faith does not deny the anguish of your soul. It's okay to tell God where you're at. It's okay to tell God that there is an agony in you because of what has happened to you or the circumstances that you are facing. But what comes from your lips must be birthed in faith. And so to her husband and to the servant, she said, it is well. And now she looks up at Elisha and she says in verse 28, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? This is the anguish of her soul. Even while her confession of faith is real, there is a real anguish in her soul. Elisha turns to Gehazi, verse 29, and says, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand. It's his symbol of authority and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And he's expecting that that's how this is going to go. But the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Elisha wants to deal with this by delegated authority, but the Shunammite woman is not having any of it. You're not sending your servant to deal with this. It was you, not Gehazi, who promised me a son in the name of the Lord. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. And when Elisha came into the house, this is verse 32, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. (laughs) Number one response when you're facing an impossibility. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. What's he doing here? He's releasing breath, he's releasing sight and he's releasing strength to the child. He returned, verse 35, and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. You may think 
your promise is dead. You may think the things that have been promised to you have died an unexpected death and they have become an impossibility. You may think your situation and the things that you face are impossible. You may be looking at the very circumstances that are the opposite of the promise that God has held out to you. But I want to tell you it's not over. It is not over. There is a heart attitude that God is building in his people in this season. It is a heart attitude that we must learn to carry if we are to walk victoriously through the trials that we face. It is a heart attitude that makes the declaration by faith, it is well, even though the circumstances speak the opposite. I want to make a connection between this and the prophetic word that I uh, released yesterday about our nation. See, back in May, I brought a prophetic word about Australia going into a season of sifting so that revival can come. I didn't know what that season of sifting might look like, but we certainly know what it looks like now because we're in it. But God has a purpose beyond the season of sifting. He has the purpose of revival. And we would do well to look forward and to raise our gaze from our immediate circumstances and say it is well in response to the circumstances because God is going to do a mighty work, not just in us personally, but in our nation. You see, the winds of change are blowing. And these winds of change are totally contrary to the gospel and totally contrary to what we're called to as an ecclesia of the Lord. And I believe with all my heart that the Lord is saying, and this is part of my prophetic word that was released yesterday, and by the way, that prophetic word in its entirety will be up on our YouTube channel um, this evening if you'd like to check it out because it goes into a completely different aspect of what I'm speaking about today. But I want to bring it back to us. The Lord is saying that while we are being sifted, we are not to be shifted. And so I want to share with you a prophetic vision that I had um, early this past week. And what the Lord showed me out of it. And what I saw was a picture of somebody standing in a sand dune. And the shape of the sand dune was changing all the time as the wind blew in one direction and then in another. These are the winds of change that I'm talking about that are contrary winds. And the constant wind shifts meant that the sand dune was sometimes almost covering the man's head and other times it was barely touching his shoes. But at all times there was pressure being applied. If you've ever been at the beach and dug a hole and got in it and got the sand 
swept back over you, you'll know that there's huge resistance if you try to move against uh, a heap of sand that's coming, that's upon you. And here's what I saw, that the man never moved in response to the shift of the sand. The man himself was immovable, even though the winds of change were blowing the dunes this way and that way. He was there in the centre. He did not move. And when I looked closer, I could see that his feet were actually standing on rock beneath him. And then I had this completely separate musical encounter as I watched him because I began to hear the line of an old hymn. And I'm sure many of you will be familiar with this uh, hymn. It's called... My hope is built on nothing less. It was written way back in 1834. And I was hearing a line from that hymn, but I was hearing it with one word in that line changed. That hymn has a line that says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. But when I heard this, this line, what I heard was, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is shifting sand. I felt that God is showing us that in this time of great upheaval across the world that the shifts in culture are an attempt by our enemy to move the church with culture as it moves away from the word of God. But as the church refuses to move, The more we refuse to move, the better we are placed to withstand the attacks coming against us. When we say, on Christ the solid rock I stand, there is one sure measure of this, which is the word of God. There are attempts right across Western civilization to erase the word of God from every aspect of public and private life. The sifting is here, but we are not to be shifted. See, you can be that man in my vision. You can be the Shunammite vision, the Shunammite woman in the word of God who stands there and refuses to be moved from the promise of God, even though great anguish surrounds that promise. You can choose to stand there and resist the winds of change that are trying to change the culture around us. If we are immovable, we present to the world something that the world needs to see. At the conclusion of my prophetic word yesterday... On Friday, I heard the Lord say this as I was completing that prophetic word. That the world's systems, and when I say systems, the concept that flew into my mind at that point was everything that man has influence over in this world, ecology, climate, monetary systems, land management, climate change, uh, moral uh, laws, religious laws, political spectrums, all those things. I heard the Lord say the world's systems are not failing, they are falling so that the kingdom of heaven can be more clearly seen. 
The kingdom of heaven is the spiritual realm, right? But see, the kingdom of heaven manifests through you and I. And as soon as I heard those words, the Lord dropped Romans 14, 17 into my heart. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Now don't just think that's food and drink. No, it's not the material realm. The kingdom of God is not dependent upon the material realm. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy flood our hearts when we say by faith, it is well. I'm not moving. It is well. I am not going to be shifted by this evil culture that you are trying to impose upon me. I will stand for biblical truth and not bow to prevailing culture. I will refuse your evil mandate to change what I speak, what I believe, how I worship and how I witness. The world systems are not failing, they are falling so that the kingdom of heaven can be more clearly seen through you and I. That's how the kingdom of heaven is seen. That when everyone's facing impossible circumstances, they look at this person here. The leaven of the kingdom spread everywhere. We're leaven, right? They look and they see a piece of leaven here, a piece of leaven there. This is good leaven, right? You understand that? Piece of leaven here, piece of leaven there. And they see that piece of leaven walking in righteousness, peace and joy. And they want that because the things in the material realm are failing them because world systems are beginning to collapse because Jesus is coming back. We are being sifted, but we are not to be shifted. There is only one shift we are to embrace, and that is the shift in our hearts closer to the Lord. And I see in the story of the Shunammite woman a prophetic picture of that because she says to her husband in full knowledge that the boy is dead upstairs in that room on the wall. She says to her husband, it is well. And then the only move she makes is to go to the Lord. There is only one shift we are to embrace, and that is the shift in our hearts closer to the Lord. And when we uh, take that step of faith and say, it is well, and come to the Lord, righteousness, peace, and joy, are what manifests in our lives. You're not facing my impossibility. I'm not facing your impossibility. But across the church, we're all facing impossibilities in this season. Can you say it is well? Worship team, would you come up, please? I believe that. The Lord would ask of us today that prophetic declaration as we close our service this morning. That we would be able to, off the back of the stirring in our hearts because of the prophetic word released this morning and because of the word of God, in response to the stirring of our hearts, when we sing, it is well, 
with my soul, that there is a fresh level of faith from which we are speaking, that our foundation feels firmer before our feet, that the shifting sands of culture and circumstance and pandemic and all the rest of it, though they press against us, we are not being shifted. It is 